You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to our Tuesday night Bible study. We're glad to have you with us, those of you that are joining us live and those of you who are joining us via the podcast. We're grateful to be able to spend some time looking at God's Word together. A few weeks ago, we we started our study of the book of 1 John. And we're continuing our study of 1 John right now. Today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the first six verses of 1 John chapter 2. And the big theme that you can see in this portion of Scripture, and we're going to be talking about this in just a few moments, is the fact that that 1 John 2 talks about the fact that Christ is our advocate. And we're going to define that. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means in just a few moments. But before we do... Let me just remind you of some of the background of this particular book of the Bible. The book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John around the year A.D. 90, and he he wrote this from the city of Ephesus. Uh, This was written before John was exiled to the island of Patmos, and if you remember, Patmos is where John wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, But this was written prior to, to John being exiled to the island of Patmos. And during the course of John's ministry, he tried to accomplish a variety of things, and you could also see him trying to accomplish some of those things with this letter. And in writing this letter, he was trying to help bolster the faith of, of the believers living during that era. He was also trying to correct false teaching that was being spread. And so he had multiple objectives in communicating this information, and it was very helpful, and he certainly accomplished that in in what he wrote here, and he, he participated in the building up of the early church through doing this. Now, throughout the course of this letter, and we've seen this already in some of the some of the weeks that we have been studying this, but throughout the course of this letter, John stressed a variety of concepts, and some of the concepts that he stressed included having fellowship with God. He also stressed the need for believers to confess our sin. Uh, we saw that when we were looking at chapter 1 in particular. Uh, he also stressed the idea of loving God, and we're going to see elements of that in what we look at this evening. Uh, John stresses the concepts of loving one another, knowing God personally. We're going to see that in particular tonight. And also acknowledging Christ's divinity so that people would understand who indeed Christ is. But in tonight's passage, the Apostle John is going to teach us about the importance of Christ's role as our advocate. So again, we're going to define that in just a few moments, uh, but that's an important role that Christ ultimately serves in for our benefit. And we directly benefit from that in very powerful ways, and so we're going to talk about that this evening. But at the same time, as we look at this this evening, we're going to be encouraged to to avoid inviting sin into our lives while walking as Jesus walked in this world. So you're going to see both of those things discussed. So the fact that Christ is our advocate, but then also this idea of avoiding inviting sin into our lives, and then walking as Jesus walked in this world. John emphasizes each of these concepts in this portion of Scripture. Now, let's start with uh, verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2, because here it, it 
it's specific about the fact that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Let me read this portion of Scripture for us. It says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So let's pause there for just a moment and think about some of the things that John's trying to communicate in this portion of Scripture. And I like how he starts off this this section, because he addresses the believers, he addresses the church as his little children. And I don't know if that sounds like a a unique or funny statement to you to hear him say that, but keep in mind the context in which he's writing this in. John was a prominent church leader during that time. He was an apostle. He had been one of the apostles that Christ had commissioned. He had spent time with Jesus during the course of his earthly ministry. He served in an apostolic and pastoral role during the course of his ministry. He was also an evangelist. And um, and he looked at these individuals that, that made up the church of the time as his spiritual children. I'm sure that many of them had been led to faith in Christ by him, and so in a very real sense, John was their spiritual father, and so it would be appropriate for him to refer to them as his little children, but he's doing this with affection. He's saying this affectionately. It's kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my, my youngest daughter and I'll, I'll just uh, refer to her as, as uh, hey, kiddo, you know, I'll just I'll say something like that. But the funny thing is I even say that to my, my oldest daughter, who is 20, you know, and I'll still say, hey, kiddo. Well, obviously, she's not a child anymore. She's 20 years old. But at the same time, to me, she's my child. And so that's how I view that. Now, John, at the time he's writing these things, he's pretty advanced in age. He's somewhere maybe around 90 years old, give or take. He's, he's certainly at least in his, in his 80s. And, um, you know, he, he's an older man looking at younger Christians with affection and thinking uh, just how much he cares for their well-being, how much he wants to see them grow in their walk with Christ. He's speaking to them with the kind of affection that a father has for a child. And so he's saying, my little children, not in an insulting way, not in a demeaning way, but in a very affectionate way, as someone who considers himself a spiritual father to those that he's had the privilege to walk with and help them to grow in their walk with the Lord. And uh, so he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. So he's writing this down to them for a purpose. And he says the purpose here. He says, I'm writing these things down. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he's trying to encourage them not to give in to sin. And that's a very practical thing. Um, I know that as a, a father, I frequently am giving advice to my children, and much of that advice that they would say that I'm giving to them is advice not to take their lives in a sinful direction. And that's good counsel. When people have counseled us not to take our lives in a sinful direction, if we've received that, that's been helpful. As a parent, giving that information to my children, that's something that I'm encouraging them to do as well. That's something also as the pastor of a local church I'm trying to do. You know, when I'm, I'm preaching messages, when I'm teaching Bible studies, even in our time here this evening, or as I'm recording Scripture for our podcasts, I'm trying to encourage us to walk with Jesus Christ so that we don't go in the direction of sin. That's what Christ has rescued us from. He's rescued us out of it. He doesn't want us to go back into the slavery of sin. And so here you have John trying to encourage people to understand what Jesus has done for them, 
And he's trying to encourage them not to go back in the direction of their sinfulness. And he says this, as a follow-up to that, he says, but if anyone does sin, and I'm, I'm just going to pause there even before I, I finish that sentence. He starts it off, he says, but if anyone does sin, now all of us on this call know this, and all of, the, all of uh, those that are accessing this information via our podcast know this, each and every one of us, we still do sin. Uh, as much as we would like not to sin, we still wrestle with sin. Sin is something that we struggle with. And we're told here that Jesus is the remedy, and John is going to explain a very specific way that Jesus helps us in the midst of our struggle with sin right now. So he's not just speaking about the work that Christ accomplished on the cross for us. He's also talking about Christ's present-day ministry as he's trying to help us in a variety of ways right now as an application of what he's done for us on the cross. So he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So let's think about this remedy that John is speaking of here. He says, if, any, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And that advocate is Jesus Christ. So what does that mean if Christ is our advocate? If Jesus is our advocate, what does that look like, or what is he doing? Well, one of the things that, uh, or one of the ways that, that we use the word advocate, a synonym for it, could be one who makes a defense, a defender. Another way that the word advocate is sometimes used is in a legal sense, where you would refer to uh, a, a lawyer as your advocate. So think of God's heavenly courtroom, and think about coming before God the Father if we were still covered in our sin, if we were still steeped in our sin, and there was no remedy for it, we would be in a miserable spot. But here you have John saying, if we sin, if we struggle with sin, which all of us still do, even though we've been forgiven of our sin, we still struggle with sin. John reminds us that Jesus Christ serves as our advocate. So he serves as our lawyer before the throne of God the Father. He serves as our defender. And it's kind of interesting when you think about the fact that not only do we have Christ as our advocate, we have Christ as our defender, but Scripture also tells us we have Satan as our accuser. The book of Revelation tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the accuser of Christians. And what does he do? Well, you know, he, I, I imagine that it works out somewhat like this, where Jesus has paid for our sin, and we have trusted in Jesus, and we've experienced salvation through faith in Jesus, but we still struggle with sin quite regularly. And I imagine that Satan loves to point that out and say, "Oh, look, you know, look, look at the, uh, look, look at what John did. Look at what he said. Look at what he thought." And he loves to he loves to accuse the brethren. He loves to. Uh, bring accusation against believers, and when you and when we come before the throne of God, and that's something that we will do. It's kind of interesting to think that it's not those accusations that are going to stick against us in the courtroom of God, because at the same time we have Satan as our accuser, we have Christ as our advocate who can point to the fact that he suffered and bled and died on the cross for our sin. 
and that we are cleansed of our sin. We are given the gift of the righteousness of Christ. John here refers to Jesus as our advocate, and he says, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So why is he emphasizing the fact that Jesus Christ is the righteous one? Well, John is stressing the fact that that through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ gets added to our account. And so as we stand before the Father, we don't stand as men and women who are still steeped in our sin. We stand as men and women who have been forgiven of our sin, and we have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is our lawyer, who is our defender, who points to the work that he did on our behalf, and who points to the fact that his righteousness has been imputed to our account. And that's the remedy for the fact that we still struggle with sin. And that's what John was trying to encourage the church to understand. He's saying, look, I I don't want you to sin. I'm actually writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do mess up, if you do struggle with sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. He stands before the Father on your behalf. What a beautiful thing. Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Now, that's just one verse of this portion of Scripture. That's just one section of what we've just looked at. One small verse with such a powerful punch that we've been able to look at from this portion of Scripture. Well, let's look a little further. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, because it gives us another theological, uh, theologically deep reference that is worth wrestling with this evening as we as we look at what this portion of scripture is stating because in 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 it tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Now even before I read this verse and it's going to use that word propitiation I know right off the bat that that's not a word that that most if any of us use. So it's not a word that that when I speak or teach or preach on a portion of scripture like this it's not a word that I make assumption that that we would already be familiar with because it's not really a word I use. It's not really a word that I I would imagine that many of us if any of us on this call or those of you that are listening to this podcast uh, that we use regularly, but it has a significant meaning. And so I do want to stress for us this evening what this word means, but I'll read the verse first, and then I'm going to explain it. Uh, so it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So think about that statement again. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, to understand that sentence, we really do need to understand what the word propitiation means. Propitiation, the the simplest way that I know to explain it, it, this means that Jesus is the one who satisfies the wrath of God. So the wrath, the righteous wrath of God the Father was placed upon Jesus, and Jesus the righteous has satisfied that wrath so that now you and I don't need to be objects of God's wrath. Rather, we can be objects of God's mercy. So that's what, uh, that's what the Scripture is emphasizing here. It says he is the propitiation for our sins. So he has satisfied the wrath, the just wrath of God, against human sinfulness. 
And Jesus accomplishes that for the church. He's the propitiation for our sins. But then John makes another statement here that I want to clarify, because it can be a statement that I think is very easy to sometimes misinterpret, and I think sometimes people do misinterpret this statement. But he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, he's going to explain this statement a little bit further as we get into the the upcoming verses, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about what he's getting at here. Because some people would look at this, and they would say, okay, well, obviously Jesus is the one who satisfies the wrath of God. Uh, He's the propitiation for our sins, so he satisfies the wrath of the Father against our sins. Uh, And that makes sense for those of us who are believers in Christ, those of us who are part of the Church of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But it, but he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So some people look at that statement, and they interpret that to, to mean that, that everyone, regardless of whether they have saving faith in Jesus Christ, is, is no longer under the wrath of God. But that's not what Scripture is teaching. Scripture teaches us that until we receive the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, we are still under the wrath of God. And, um, and and so when you look at this portion of Scripture, what John is saying in that second part here, and he's going to clarify this in the upcoming verses, but what he's saying here is the fact that Jesus is the only available propitiation for our sins. So his propitiation is directly applied to those who believe. So we've accepted the fact that he is the propitiation for our sins, but he's also the only available propitiation for the sins of the entire world. There's no other plan B. There's no there's no other option. If we want the righteous wrath of God to be satisfied in regard to our own individual life, Jesus is the solution. He's the only one who can solve this for us. And uh, and so that's what John's talking about, the fact that those of us who believe in Jesus, we've experienced the blessing of that. But Jesus is also available for the whole world. And as they trust in him, as other people in this world trust in Jesus Christ, they too will experience the benefit of Jesus being their advocate and Jesus being their propitiation. But they must trust in him in order to experience this blessing. So John is saying he's available to the whole world. But he's going to show us, he's going to clarify this statement a little bit further in the upcoming verses, where he's going to illustrate that that the ministry of advocacy or the ministry of propitiation is only actually applied to those who trust in him. Now, let me show you why I'm saying that. Let's jump to verses 3 and 4 of 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to ask a question here for us to think about before I read these two verses. And the question is this, do you truly know Jesus, or do you just know about him? Do you truly know him, or do you just know about him? What John is going to encourage us to understand and and recognize is that we need to truly know Jesus in a personal way. And he stresses that in verses 3 and 4 of 1 John chapter 2. So let me read these verses for us. He says it this way. I love the way he says this. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So not just know about him. He says, and by this we, have, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then he says, whoever says, quote, I know him, end quote, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So this is where John really starts to explain the fact that Jesus 
is the only available savior, but he 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 only becomes our actual savior when we trust him. So let's look at what he says here. Let's pick it apart uh, line by line. He says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him. So here he's stressing the importance of knowing Jesus in a personal way. He says, I'm going to give you the metric by which you can measure whether or not you actually know him or just know about him. And I think about this a lot as a pastor. Sometimes I I look out at our congregation when I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, and there are people in our congregation that I know very well. And there are other people I don't know at all. And I also know that there are some people that are only there because their parents made them go, or maybe their spouse made them go, or because it's some form of a, a tradition in their family to attend worship services but they may not actually know Jesus Christ. So when I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, I don't make the automatic assumption that just because somebody attends a worship service in a church building, that they know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And here you have John saying, here's the test by which you can measure whether or not you know Jesus in a personal way. And the test that he gives us here is whether or not we keep his commandments. And he's going to explain this, but just think about this for a second. You know, if we truly know Jesus, if we truly love him, the greatest form of motivation uh, to obey him is love. So if I say that I love Jesus, but I ignore every request he's made of me or every command he's given to me, that doesn't seem like I love him a whole lot, does it? You know, just today, uh, just this afternoon, I was having a conversation with my wife, and I won't go into all the details because that part's not important. But what is important is that she made a specific request of me, and and it was an extremely reasonable request. And because she made the request and because I love her, I'm going to honor her request. And honoring that request is something that communicates love to her because she expressed to me something that mattered to her, something that was important to her. And because I love her, I'm, it's my joy to honor that request. And here you have John telling us that our relationship with Christ operates in a very similar way, that if I say that I love him, and if you say that you love him, and if I say that I know him, and you say that you know him, We'll show that by actually keeping his commandments, because what he says will matter to us. And he gives us the reverse of that when you look at verse 4. He says, whoever says, quote, I know him, right? So you notice that's in quotes. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And what he's saying is, you don't actually know him if if you're not willing to follow his teaching. If you say you know him, you'll listen to him because you'll be internally motivated by the presence of the Holy Spirit to obey the commands of Jesus. You will want to obey him. Your desires will change. Your old desires won't be as powerful as they once were. Your new desires are going to be the most powerful desires within you, and it's going to be a desire to to obey the words of Christ. So whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, John says, that person is a liar, and they're confirming they don't actually know Jesus. And he even goes on to say, and the truth is not in him. So he's saying, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you if you say you know Jesus, but you won't actually listen to what Jesus says. And I think that that's a very reasonable statement, but it would be interesting to see if people would really apply that kind of metric to their walk with him, because I think that there are many people who who profess to know Jesus, 
but they're not really following Jesus. And if you're not really following Jesus and you're claiming to actually know Jesus, something isn't matching up. And it very it could be one of two things. It could be that maybe you're at a spot of immaturity and you just kind of need to grow a little bit further in that area. Or it could be very much what John is saying here, that this is a matter of you not knowing the Lord at all, that it's not a maturity issue. It very well may be that you don't know the Lord, that you're not keeping his commandments. You're just lying to yourself and you're lying to others and you're, in a sense, lying to God and the truth is not in you. So the question for us, as we look at these verses, is to simply ask, do you truly know Jesus? Do you know him in a very real and very personal way, or do we just know about him? And we don't want to just know about him, although that's a good start. We actually want to know him, and there's a huge difference between the two. One other thing that John brings up in this portion of Scripture, and this is the last thing I want to highlight for us this evening before we get into our time of discussion, but when you look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, I think there's another question we could ask, and that's this. Do you walk like Jesus walked? Do you walk like Jesus walked? Well, what do I mean by that? Why am I asking that kind of question? Well, look at 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6, because it tells us here what John is trying to get at and why I'm trying to follow that up with this question. But he says, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Then he says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There's a lot of content there. It's just two verses, but a lot of things to wrestle with. So he starts off by saying, whoever keeps his word. And so that's basically us saying, all right, the teaching of Christ, the teaching of Scripture isn't going to be something that I constantly question or constantly ignore. I'm going to try to learn more and more of it so that I ultimately can apply it to my life, so that I could live it out, so that my conscience will be affected by it, so that my demeanor will be affected by it, so that I navigate life with the wisdom of the Word of God fresh in my mind and being lived out in my day-to-day life. And he says, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And again, I think that's the highest motivation to keep the word of God. I think that's the highest motivator. If we're going to actually keep the word of God, I think the deepest form of motivation is the love of God. If I say I love God, if I say I love Jesus Christ, but I don't keep his word, I'm, I'm showing that I don't really love him. But if I do keep his word, I'm, I'm demonstrating that my love for him is maturing. Or the way uh, it says here, the way John says it here, he says, in him truly the love of God is perfected. It's matured. It's shown to be developed. It's shown to have grown. Uh, it's, it's shown to be valued. And so this is a big part of what John is trying to encourage the church to embrace. And he gives us a little bit further um, a little bit further counsel here that I think is helpful to us in our walk with Christ. He says, by this we may know that we are in him. So we are in Christ. We are united to Christ. We are one with Christ. He says, by this we may know that we are in him, one with him, abiding with him. He says, whoever says he abides in him, so if I say I abide in Christ or that I'm united to Christ or that I, that I know Christ in a personal way and that my life is wrapped up in his life, whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So that begs the question, well, how did Jesus walk? And that's kind of the big question we're asking as we look at these two verses here. Do you walk like Jesus walked? Well, how did he walk? 
Well, we know that throughout the course of his earthly ministry, he demonstrated that. Even though he is one with the Father, Jesus, you know, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are united. They are one, one God existing in three persons. But we, we see how Jesus walked. He walked in obedience to the Father. He took steps of faith. He chose to serve others. He chose to speak in such a way that his words were seasoned with the grace of God. He treated others in such a way that that they were honored to know him. Uh, He spoke with truth. He was selfless in in how he interacted with others and in what he gave for the benefit of others. He was willing to be self-sacrificing for the benefit of others. So if I claim to be united to Christ, or in him, or abiding in Christ, these are different ways this same concept gets phrased. If I say I'm united to Christ, but yet I don't walk in the same way Jesus walked, that's a very questionable statement then on my part, because if I'm united with him, I'm going to walk like he walked. I'm going to be motivated to do what he did. I'm going to treat others the way he treated others. I'm going to see life the way he sees life. And I'm going to be somebody who lives in obedience to the teaching of Scripture, because I believe that the Scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit for our benefit, and it's the rule for our faith and practice. And, uh, and, And it's motivated by love for Jesus Christ. And so here you have the Apostle John saying, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so that should be the goal that I have for my life. That should be the goal you have for your life as a follower of Christ. We just want to walk as Jesus walked. And I have to tell you, it makes a huge difference on relationships or opportunities or whatever whatever may come our way, even within our family, if we treat one another in a Christ-like manner. So when I interact with people and I take the opportunity to demonstrate the heart of Christ in the way I show them grace or mercy or forgiveness or kindness or love, that is another opportunity to point people right to Jesus. Because I think sometimes people see Jesus in you and see and they see Jesus in me before they're ever going to open up the scriptures and before they're ever going to read the details of God's word. And so we want to be faithful to do that. We want to walk in the same way Jesus walked. And the good news is we don't have to do that in our own strength. As we trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit takes residence within us. He moves within within us. He lives inside of us. And he, he brings forth his fruit in your life and in my life. And that's extremely helpful as we seek to be people who walk in the way Jesus walked. We don't have to do it in our own strength or our own wisdom. We are divinely empowered to do so. And as we do so, we can give Christ all the glory. So do you walk like Jesus walked? The Apostle John wanted the church to walk like Jesus walked. And uh, that certainly should be the same desire that we have as well. Now, before we get to our discussion time, which we're going to do in just a couple seconds here, um, I just want to let you know about a couple training uh, events we have coming up, our Bible studies specifically that we have coming up. Uh, The first is on March 16th, so that's two weeks from tonight. Uh, We're going to continue our study of the book of 1 John, and we're going to start with verse 7 of chapter 2 when we talk about the new commandment. So that's going to be on March 6th at this same time, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time. 
And then two weeks after that, on March 30th, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 15. And we're only going to be looking at three verses that evening, but we're going to be talking about the fact that Scripture tells us, do not love the world. And we're going to define that and talk about what that actually means, why Scripture is telling us, do not love the world. It has a very specific application, and I hope you'll be with us on the 16th and the 30th. Again, both of those evenings, as we have our Tuesday night Bible studies, both of those take place Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, and I recognize that those of you on the call here, many of us are in different time zones, and those of you listening on the podcast, I realize that you may be in a different time zone from me, so just do the math and uh, figure out you know, how many hours you need to add or subtract, but we are in Eastern time, and that'll be March 16th and March 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and just do the math because we'd love to have you join us here live on the call, And uh, but even if you're not able to join us live, we're also grateful that you access this via the podcast. So now at this point, Let's uh, jump into our discussion time. So I'm going to stop my screen share, and I'm going to bring our guests up on the screen with me. One other thing I'll mention, those of you that are live on the call here and those of you joining us via the podcast, you can find a whole bunch of content that I hope will be helpful for you in your walk with Christ by going to our website, which is desirejesus.com. So be sure to stop by there if you've never stopped by there. We know that there's some content there that'll be Uh, helpful for you in your walk with Christ. So let me stop the screen share now, and uh, I see our guests. So we have a lot of guests here from Pennsylvania, and we have one guest from the Philippines, which I'm really excited about this evening. And uh, uh, I'm going to uh, throw out a question here, and I've just decided I don't typically call on people, but I know that Don Kaler is okay with me calling on him, so I'm going to call on him because I always think it's helpful to have an icebreaker. So, Don, you're going to be our icebreaker, and I want you to think back into your your past here. And by the way, those of you on the call here, I'm not going to do this to everybody. (laughs) I'm just doing this to Don, okay? I could probably get away with this with a few of you, but I'm just going to do this to Don. I know he's pretty safe uh, for me to just call on. The rest can just volunteer answers if you have an answer you want to give. But, Don, I want you to think back into your life. It could be sometime recent, or it could be back in your childhood. And I wonder if you have a story or can think of an example of someone who defended you whether it be as a child or as an adult. And I wonder if maybe you could share a tiny bit about that experience. Do you have a, a, like a, a specific memory of a time when someone took the time to actually defend you? Anything come to mind? Well, John, uh, it was, uh, uh, it'll be 16 years ago where I was being defended by attorneys in, in, in criminal cases. And when I, when I heard you describing Jesus as our advocate, what a great lawyer to have, the son of the judge. So I, <laughs> I, really, I really think we got something good there. And, and I can tell you something about the experience. I did have some trouble. Uh, that was at the end of my road of my worldly life before the Holy Spirit pulled me out of that. And uh, I'm living, I'm a new creation now. That's why our church is called New Creation. Mm -hmm. But there was one of the cases that I was actually innocent. And I know Don and Jill, everybody's innocent, but I was actually innocent of the charges. And the attorney that I had told me that, uh, well, if I plead guilty, don't just add another six months on probation, you know, no big deal. I said, I can't do that. I, 
I wasn't guilty. I, I can't lie because I'm living a new life here. And uh, he said, you're facing some real serious uh, jail time if they find you guilty. But I was declared not guilty by the judge. And, and I got goosebumps right now because I remember that feeling. And I never lose that when I think about uh, Christ paying the price for my sins and being, and I'm declared not guilty of the sins past, present, and future. But uh, I have a lot of experience with advocates, and you have to have a lot of money to get good representation. <laughs> you know, the justice system works real good if you can afford it. But what a wonderful thing we have in Christ as our advocate where there's no money involved. And he's the son of the judge. You can't get no better attorney than that. Yeah. Now, I didn't know that story when I asked you. I was thinking you were going to tell me something about on the playground as a child or or something like that. So I, I, I didn't know that ahead of time. But that ended up being a, a pretty powerful example. So thanks for being willing to share that, Don. I actually and I, I like the way you phrase that. Yeah. Christ, the son of the judge uh, being on your side. That That's a that's a wonderful thing. Um, I, I wonder if anyone else has a, a, an example, you know, from your life where you could think of where someone defended you in, in, in one way or another. Does, is there anyone have a memory of somebody doing that for you? I can think of one not not that long ago. Um, eh, it's been a couple of years, but there was a, someone new at work. And um, I teach at the university, but um, I also work in the office at the university as the dean's assistant. And so I spend a lot of time working with and helping faculty. Um, And we had a new faculty member who actually, who kind of like spoke down to me a little bit as like the, I don't know, clearly not an equal and um, one of the other faculty members, not in that public context where, because we were in a big group, but called him out on it later on and was like, <laughs> like, don't talk to her. Like, you, please don't talk to her like that. And, you know, she's not like, she's not a like servant. <laughs> like she's, please treat, you know, you need to like treat her better than that. And um, I never would have, I wouldn't have said anything to the the person who spoke down to me and, but it did hurt my feelings that he spoke to me like that. And, um, and so the fact that this other faculty member um, later on defended me and, you know, spoke up for me really meant a lot to me. And so. Yeah. Oh, that, that is significant. And uh, it's nice to think about, you know, that somebody would do that. And um, you know, I, I was even thinking, I remember, uh, in uh, when I was in school, you know, there's a, an, a time uh, from my childhood when I was in school and I was playing football with a bunch of guys. And there was this one guy on the opposing team who was really big. And um, I made a really good play on him. I think I intercepted the ball or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And uh, he lost his marbles and he I, I'm, I he got really defensive and was going to just <laughs> attack me. And then the biggest guy on our team then got up in his face and stopped him from doing that and and defended me from that, that wrath. And I remember at the time thinking, all right, I don't want to display how relieved I feel that this guy did this for me, but I have to tell you, I felt very relieved. I felt extremely relieved that this didn't turn into some sort of fight because I I don't think I would have won uh, with, with the other guy. And so, 
you know, we'll never know because it never happened because someone came and defended me. And so I thought, great, <laughs> I don't have to fight today. I could just play football. Isn't, isn't that nice? Um, but I wonder, how often do we think about Christ being our defender or Christ being our lawyer? Because think about this. You know, I mentioned this a, a few moments ago. Scripture also tells us that Satan is our accuser. So Satan is accusing you and Christ is defending you. So how often do we really think about this or or maybe this you know should this be something that we're thinking about a little bit more? I wonder if anyone has an opinion on that. I think very often it's uh, easy to forget the spiritual battle that goes on uh, not only with uh, uh Jesus and uh Satan but um angels and demons. Yeah, because we don't see it, right? So we're we scripture tells us it's happening but we don't think a whole lot about it. We go about our life seeing what we're used to seeing on the physical level. And uh, yeah, as Ian brought up there, the, there's very much a spiritual battle taking place. And isn't it nice to know that we're being defended in the spiritual realm and, um, and you know, that our Lord looks after us, that those who are aligned with the Lord are, are serving him and, and doing his bidding in the midst of Satan's accusations and in the midst of Satan's devious plans against the people of God. It's encouraging. Do you think we should think about this more? I mean, what, what do you think would be the impact on our walk with Christ if we actually thought about this more? Do you think it would make a difference? I think it would make a difference if, uh, if ultimately, you know, we, we thought about this more. I mean, this is something that the Lord reveals to us about himself in the scriptures so that we would know this about him. And I, I think that there's a certain peace that we experience uh, just in, in, in line with that as we recognize that this is something that Christ is doing for us. Um, how about this? And, and I, I'd be really curious to hear what you guys think about this, because we, we were using that word propitiation. Right, so as the, the word propitiation is used, uh, and it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ satisfies the righteous wrath of God the Father against our sin. So I, I'm curious, what do you think about the Father's wrath towards sin? Because I think a lot of times when, when it comes to sin, we we sometimes make light of sin, but yet when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, it reveals to us that the Father has wrath towards sin. So, so I don't know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the fact that Scripture is pretty specific about the fact that God the Father displays his wrath towards sin? And maybe I could even add this as a comment, that we were under that wrath until Christ took that wrath upon himself for us. I mean, what do you think about that? The wrath of the Father towards sin that at one point was applied to you and me. Anyone have a thought or an opinion on that? It's kind of a chilling thought for me. I'd just be curious to hear from you guys. Yeah, Paul. Uh, just a thought. Um, Moses uh, was in, in, in a lot of ways like Jesus, if you will, in the Old Testament, uh, because Moses stood in the breach because God wanted to destroy his people. And he said, uh, I'm going to wipe everybody out. I'll start new with you. Mm-hmm. Like I started new with Noah and then I, you know, with Abraham, I'm going to start new with you. I'm going to wipe everybody out. He even forgot the fact that he put the rainbow up in the sky, right? Uh, but Moses defended, he argued for the people, you know. Uh, and 
I think that that's an interesting aspect, if you will, of Jesus. Uh, and uh, well, Jesus advocates for us, uh, but Jesus is also, as the advocate, he is also uh, the appeasement that was offered up to God. Uh, because depending on the Bible translation you're working with, the word could be propitiation. It could also be expiation. Mm-hmm. And there's a real subtle difference between the two words. But um, uh, the, the point is that Jesus uh, stood in the breach for us, uh, just as Moses did. And the fact that God honors that. God the Father mm-hmm. honors that. Um, so although there is no doubt that, you know, God, God is, can, he gets mad. Uh, but the fact is that uh, uh, also if, if uh, we follow in his ways, if we, if we turn ourselves over to him, that, that wrath goes away because uh, when we, when we give ourselves to God, it's all forgotten. Like uh, Don said, all forgotten. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting to think that we are deserving of his righteous wrath because it's not like he uh, uh, loses his cool or something. You know, he, he who is holy has right, has, you know, righteous indignation against sin and, um, and we deserve it. And yet at the same time, Jesus Christ has, I like the analogy you use there because I believe Moses in the old Testament is serving as a picture of what Christ was ultimately going to do on the spiritual level for us, of um, of, of standing there as our our defense, and this was part of the plan of God from eternity past. This was always mapped out. This is this wasn't a mystery to God. This was always the plan that this would be done this way, but Christ still did it, and uh, even though it's part of the plan, it's still something He followed through on, and He did. And he satisfies the wrath of the Father on our behalf. So let, let's ask a few personal questions here. I have no idea if you guys will want to answer these questions or not. I'm just going to throw these out there, and we'll see if we get silence or we'll see if you feel like answering these. But I, as I was preparing for this evening, I thought to myself, this is the type of thing that uh, very well may result in silence. So I accept that ahead of time if you don't want to answer this. But I am going to ask it anyway. And if you don't feel at liberty to answer it, I'll understand. I'll, 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 I'll stand in that gap and try and be transparent myself. Okay. If, if you don't want to do it, but maybe someone will join me in this. So um, how do you, this is the question. How do you feel about the consistency of your own life? Meaning, are you living a truth, uh, you know, like a true life where you're, you're following Christ or do you feel like you're living a lie? Uh, where do you want to see improvement? Things of that nature. So how do you feel about the consistency of your own life? I don't know if anyone would be willing to answer that or not. All right. I saw your hand, Don. Don, yeah, I'm I kind of put, put it like halfway. It was like halfway. Gosh. I know. Well, those that are those that are listening on the podcast wouldn't have known that if you didn't say it. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I appreciate it. Don's good at the at being the icebreaker. So thanks. Go ahead. But it, it made me think of the phrase um, progress, not perfection. Even though, you know, Christ is perfect, we're trying to imitate him, we're trying to follow his example. 
Uh, I think it's kind of like a roller coaster in my personal life. There's times I feel like I'm like right on the track and, and, and God's moving in mighty ways daily. And then I seem to have some like dry periods where I, where I realize I'm starting to fall back. I, you know, the, the, the world's starting to get to me. I, I find myself maybe starting to get a little short, you know, with people and the, and the whole, uh, you know, the abiding in his love and being a light and the salt of the earth thing is uh, is waning a little bit. So I, I, I think it's that constant battle with the flesh and the spirit. But uh, I know that I know that I'm a work in progress. He's not finished with me yet. But the good news is that I see if I continue to look back, I can see the things he's done. Uh, you know, like, say, a year ago, there's a lot of things that are different about me that God has removed some things. I love the verse in John, John uh, 3.30, where John the Baptist says, he must be, I must become greater, and he must, he must become greater, and I must become less. That's kind of how I feel like my walk is with, uh, with Christ. And, uh, and sometimes that's happening a lot, sometimes just a little bit. And sometimes not so much, but uh, it's that, that the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's always going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. This side of heaven, right? Yeah. Amen. That's, that's good. Yeah. Thank you, Don. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I wonder any, anyone else want to take a bite at that one? You know, how, how do you feel about the consistency of your own life? What do you think? And I, um, I think I, I agree with uh, Mr. Donkey um, because I, I'm still on the process, I think. And maybe um, maybe I'm doing, like now, I am, I am following Jesus Christ. With, and then I'm trying to obey his commands. And although I, I'm, I will fall, but uh, the good point is I am still trying. And obey all his commands. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, that's that that's something, you know, as we as we walk with him, we try and it, it um Michaela, your your comment there reminded me of some of the early verses that we just read there in 1 John 2 where where John says, "I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, I have, you know, we have Jesus our advocate, Jesus the righteous." And isn't that, isn't that the same spot we all find ourselves in? You know, we want to walk with Christ. We want to be consistent. And I, I know that over the course of my life, there are times that I can look at it and I could say, all right, right now I feel consistent. And then I look at other times and I think I'm being very inconsistent. And, uh, and one of the things that I'm grateful that we have the blessing of is the, the presence of the Holy Spirit who convicts our heart. Uh, one of the things that the the Spirit of God really convicted me of several years ago was the fact that there were a few areas of my life that I was trying to hold back from Him. And it wasn't super clear to me at first, and then when it became clear to me, I thought, it's troubling my conscience that there are still areas of my life that I feel like I'm holding back from the Lord. And so I remember I remember just sitting down in my, um, you know, just in our, our, our family room and just sitting there on the couch and praying and asking the Lord to 
Help me to be fully devoted to him in all areas and to not hold anything back. Because I I remember at the time, as things were becoming clear to me, it was just really troubling my conscience. And I thought, all right, Lord, I'm going to need your help to be more consistent because I, I was really identifying some areas of my life that I did not feel like I was being consistent. And it amazes me how the Lord answers those prayers. And I, I truly, I, I'm truly grateful for that. I love the fact that we can come before him and admit that we're trying, but there's grace and there's mercy. And he knows that we're a work in progress. You know, there's never been a day in my life where I got everything right. And I know that for each of us on the call and those of, those of you that will hear this from the recording of the podcast, um, th- there's no day of our life where we've gotten everything right. And that's okay for now because Jesus is the righteous one. He gives us the gift of his righteousness, because not because we didn't need it, but because we did need it. We need the gift of his righteousness because we didn't have any of our own to offer him. And uh, I find that very encouraging when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, to think that our Lord would do that for us. And, um, you know, I, I know that's been a blessing in my life, and I'm certain it's been a blessing in your life as well. So, all right, last group of questions I want to ask us here as we wind things down tonight. Um, And one kind of relates to what we looked at when we were looking at chapter one, where it talks about the idea of sin and confession. And so I'm just wondering if at this season of your life, if you've been able to identify, um, you know, when you know you have sinned. So if you can look at something, you can say, all right, right now I could point to something and say, all right, I know that I have sinned. When you notice something like that, how long do you wait before you confess it to the Lord? Have you noticed a pattern in your life? How long do you wait before you confess it? What do you think? Anyone have a anyone able to identify a common time frame? How long it takes? Yeah, Paul. The, with me, it's usually within a day. Okay. <laughs> because we have examination of conscience. You know, in a liturgical approach to uh, to the church, every morning uh, when I'm celebrating Mass, uh, there is that time for examination of conscience, and it comes. It always comes back. And I have to say that uh, um, knowing uh, the more you give yourself to your to the Lord, the more. Uh, the, the more you start recognizing your failings, and boy, uh, seems like they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, <laughs> even you know, the, the more you serve, the bigger they get. Mm. Uh, and especially for those of us who are in ministry, uh, we have to really be careful. Uh, I, I keep thinking about the Pharisee that's sitting in front while the uh, tax collector is saying, "God, have mercy on me, a sinner." And I'm saying, well, at least I'm not like him. Uh, but, you know, uh, the, the Pharisees, how large is, are my phylacteries large enough? Can I make them bigger so more people can see him? Uh, we have to be, uh, and, and for us, my background too, uh, we have vestments that we wear. So are you styling so that you can look good? You know, um, there's a lot of things uh, that, the more you give yourself over to the Lord, the more you really have to think about those things. And, and um, uh, especially with us having an, a free, uh, a free will. And that's, that is, it is really important that we do an examination of our con- conscience 
and to do it as often as possible. Because the more we examine our own conscience, the more we see how great God was that he uh, gave himself for a sinner like me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's healthy to, to regularly examine what motivates us and what's going on in our lives and what's, uh, you know, if there's something we're holding back from the Lord. And I know that those of you that are on the podcast are not going to be able to see this, but I'm going to hold something up for those that are on the call to see. I don't know if you've ever seen a diagram like this, but Paul, what you just said reminded me of this. And it's the idea of you have, I'll describe it for those that, that can't see it. It's the idea of a person and uh, and they're looking forward. And as they're looking forward in one sense, you know, they're gaining a, a, a greater view of God's holiness. That's the top line that's going up and a smaller view of their own righteousness. And what ends up happening is we realize that the cross is what fills in the gap between our understanding of our sin and the holiness of God. You know, the cross of Jesus Christ is what filled that gap. And I saw that illustration, um, some years ago in a book that I was reading, and I thought, oh, that's a useful illustration because I think it actually displays the maturity process that we're going through. Earlier in our walk with Christ, that gap seems smaller. But over time, as we get to know the Lord better, we realize, oh, wow, he really is holy, and holiness is up here. And earlier in our walk with Christ, maybe we had a higher view of our own righteousness. But then as we've gained an appreciation of the holiness of God, our view of our own righteousness starts to go down and we stop seeing ourselves as so righteous. And we realize as that gap widens between the holiness of God and our righteousness, we realize that the only thing that could bridge that gap is Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross. And I remember when I saw that illustration, I thought, boy, that is helpful because that is the walk of maturity. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we realize just how much we need him in, uh, to fill that gap, because we did not have the ability to fill that gap for ourselves. So I thought I'd show you that there. I realize, again, those of you on the podcast can't really see the illustration that I'm showing, but I'll also say, hey, maybe this would be a good time to plug joining us live for our Bible studies. You get to see some of the the basic stick figure drawings that I'm drawing here. Uh, That's one of the bonuses of being here live for the Bible study, right? You get to see whether or not I'm a good cartoonist. So... Well, with that said, I see that that we're at one hour now, so we're going to wind this down. Uh, But I just want to thank each of you for joining us for our Bible study this evening and remind you that our next Bible study is going to be on March 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we would love to have you here with us. It's so fun uh, to be able to do this in person. And uh, we have most of the people on our call this evening are from the United States, but we have one guest this evening from the Philippines. So Michaela, thank you so much for joining us from the the Philippines. Michaela, right now, as we're finishing up here, it's a little bit after 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'm just curious, what time is it in the Philippines right now? It's 10 a.m. 10 a.m.? Is that what you said? 10 a.m.? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you, it's already tomorrow there. So I just want to know, uh, is tomorrow going to be a good day for us or what? You're already in tomorrow. Is that how that works? <laughs> you're in the next day. So 
All right. Well, it's it's so great to be able to spend this time with everybody. And we look forward to seeing you guys again next time. And uh, have a wonderful evening. Or in Michaela's case, have a wonderful morning. Good night, everybody. Want to learn more about God and his will for your life one verse at a time? I'm Quinice Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.